So as is our habit, let me invite you to stand as we read God's word together. We are in, uh, continuing the book of 2 Corinthians. Today we are in chapter 5, verses 11 through the end. So hear now God's holy word. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. But what we are is known to God, and I hope it is known also to your conscience. We are not commending ourselves to you again, but giving you cause to boast about us, so that you may be able to answer those who boast about outward appearance and not about what is in the heart. For if we are beside ourselves, it's for God. If we're in our right mind, it's for you. For the love of Christ controls us, because we have concluded this, that one has died for all. Therefore, all have died. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he or she is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, we have gathered here this morning, and all of us have some expectation of what that means. But you've already surpassed our expectations. Your presence is heaven, and you're here. And we praise you, God, that as we seek your face as you've called us to do, you show us not just your face, but you pour out your heart that we might know your love and be changed by it. And we're asking for more of that now. But I sense, Lord, that many of us have come in here this morning bearing weight the weight of grief, the weight of fear, the weight of shame. And I thank you, Lord, that you see each of us. And I ask right now, Lord, Lord, you would relieve that burden. You say, cast your cares upon me because I care for you. Your shoulders are strong enough. Your heart is willing. And so here we are. We give you our burdens. We cast them. We throw them off of our own shoulders. We cast them upon you. We thank you that they are already taken care of because of what you did on Calvary. And so Jesus, would we taste and see a bit more of that freedom today? Not a bit. A lot more. And of your love, we pray. Be glorified in this place. Come, Holy Spirit, and let the light that we now see permeate every part of us. In the matchless name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.
You may be seated, friends. So how would you respond if tomorrow in the news you saw the following headline? That there was a young girl from the suffering community, from, let's say, suffering middle school, who's gone missing. Just let that sink in for a second. She's gone missing. I, I, I know many of you, and I know what you would, you'd be online to, to be part of the search and rescue team, right? You'd be signing up for the, the meal train. Hey, how do we help the family? You'd be going to God in prayer, obviously. You'd be giving to the GoFundMe page. You'd be doing anything and everything necessary to go after that young girl, right? But what if the next day it wasn't just one girl but two? And what if the following week it wasn't just two but four? And what if after that it wasn't just a girl in the community, but it was one of our own? And what if after that it wasn't just one of our own, but one of your own? Your daughter, your wife, your mother, these are mine. What then? And and what would you do if it wasn't just that, that little season of time, but entire generations where this continued to happen over and over and over again, and the whole world knew about it, but did nothing. Because those who were responsible for it were making way too much money by selling our daughters for their pleasure. Beloved, this nightmare is the reality of the body people in Western Nepal. They are the lowest class in the Hindu system. They are the untouchables. They are the unworthy ones. And they have for generations been sold into sex trafficking and labor trafficking. And the whole world has watched and done very little about it. The question for us to start off wrestling with this morning, and I'm sorry, I know this is heavy, but it's real, is if you could do anything to help, would you? Would you? This morning, we continue in our sermon series through the book of 2 Corinthians that we are calling unshakable. What does it mean to walk through life in a world that is that broken? That at its foundation is cracked. That is constantly falling down. You turn on the news and it drives you crazy. You go to bed anxious because the world around us is a big hot mess and the world inside of us is oftentimes the same. How do we walk through life with unshakable faith? This morning, here's our theme. Jesus has sent us with hope for the hopeless. The Lord Jesus Christ, the King of glory, has sent us with hope for the hopeless. Let that sink in, friends. That is who we are. And that is what we've been called to do. Our passage starts with one of Paul's favorite words, therefore. And every time you see therefore, what do we say? What's the therefore? 
therefore, right? You always have to go back. And so let's go back. He starts off with therefore. Therefore what? Because we have this treasure in jars of clay. Because God knows that we are dust of the earth, that we are fragile, that we break, that we are actually broken. Because God knows this, he has filled us with this glory so that the world can see that this all-surpassing power belongs to him and not to us. So that we can see in our weakness that it has never actually been up to us. That God's not asking us or calling us to simply muscle up to pull up our bootstraps, to just try harder. He's given us a glorious reality inside of us that, hear this, shines most brightly through your most broken parts. Consider a a clay jar. You put a light in the clay jar, where's it going to be brightest? At the top. But if there's cracks along the side, where are you going to see the light? Through the cracks. That's who we are. We're cracked jars. That, jo- that God says through Jesus, there's glory shining through. And even when it feels overwhelming, even when it feels like, and it actually is, the reality of our outer shell, this body breaking down, and we're watching it happen to ourselves, we're watching it happen to other people, what does God declare? These light and momentary trials, which remember what we said, Feel neither light nor momentary in the minute, in the moment, right? They don't feel that way. So don't misunderstand what God's saying here. He's not saying, oh, get over it, be stoic. No, he's making a comparison. These light and momentary trials, these trials are only light and momentary when compared to the eternal weight of glory that so far surpasses them, that's being stored up for us in heaven, that when we compare the two, Our suffering in this world is nothing. It is nothing. And friends, that is such a source of hope for us. Because how many of us have gone through long seasons, or maybe in one right now, where we're saying this, there's got to be more than this. When is this going to end? We've been tempted with this reality that says, like, God, if you're good, why why don't you just take this away? When our very good God has told us from the beginning, we're made for more than this world. This is not the end of the story. Our home is with him in heaven. And that is where we are going when we put our faith in Jesus. These light and momentary trials are storing up for us an eternal weight of glory that far surpasses them all. And therefore, in this world, we groan. Groaning is where pain meets expectation. Groaning is where we rebel against the brokenness of this world. And our song joins the chorus of heaven in declaring this is not okay and this is not going to last. Hallelujah, friends. It is where sorrow and ache, where mourning meets expectation. That's why we groan. That's why the Holy Spirit groans with us and for us. It's why all creation groans. And it's why when we walk in the Spirit, we groan. And I hope you hear God speaking to you right now. Because again, there are some of us in this room who have been under the weight of suffering and loss for far too long. And we're wondering, why is God okay with this? 
do not miss the point. He's not okay with it, but he is using it. An eternal weight of glory is the mystery that he's working out in you, through you, and for you. One more, therefore, verse 10 of last week, because it matters how we live now, because we all must appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Now, some of you are scared when I read a, a passage like that or a verse like that, right? Like, oh my goodness, what does this mean? It means one of two things. It means we're either going to come before the judgment seat of Christ and Jesus is going to say, I know this one. He's covered. She's covered in my blood. We know each other. He's going to speak and you're going to recognize his voice. Or we're going to come before the judgment seat of Christ. And we're going to have all of our righteousness before us, which God says is as filthy rags. And we're going to present them before the Lord and we're going to say, is this enough? And the answer is going to be no. And God is going to give us what we've asked for, which is not him. The opposite of him. Now I want you to realize, as we're about to unpack, the context of this comment is one of love. If you saw your children heading towards someone who wanted to steal them, would you not warn them? Would you not do everything in your power to grab their attention, to pull them back, to say, be careful, beware, this is not a safe person. They want to enslave you. They want to kill you. They want to use you. Beware. Run the other direction. The word repent, friends, which we all don't like because it's overused in religious circles. Repent, repent. Repent simply means turn back. Turn back to God. Turn back to the one who actually loves you. And away from all of the things that are set up in your life to keep you from him. Turn back. Therefore, because of all of these things, we persuade. Because of all the things we just talked about, our passage says, we persuade others for what we are is known to God. Let me unpack what that means. It means God knows us all the way down to the bottom. Psalm 139 says, search me and know me, O God. See what's inside of me. And then he declares, the psalmist declares, God, you know my thoughts. You know the words that come out of my mouth even before I speak them. You know every ounce of me. And when God is going to choose a king after his own heart, he goes through every one of David's brothers before he gets to David. And Samuel, the prophet's like, wait a second, he's the smallest, he's the runt. Why are you choosing him? And God says this, because I don't judge according to the outside, I judge the heart. I see what's going on on the inside. Do you see the connection to what our passage talks about today? And what 2 Corinthians is all about. That God's doing this miraculous work of transforming us from one degree of glory on the inside. Though outwardly we waste away, inwardly we're being renewed day by day when we receive the deep transforming love of Jesus. And so what we see in our passage is the God who declares, I know you. Now, what does that mean very concretely? It means two things, at least two things. First of all, means that our best efforts to play the game are only ever a facade for our own eyes and not his. 
It means when I come to God and I kind of give him the scraps, and I say, I got to go through the motions so I feel better about myself, or I'm willing to go this far, but not this far. That hurts too much. That's too scary. I'm going to save this part of my heart for myself. God wants you to know he already knows that part of your heart. And the only person that you're hurting by keeping it from him is you. He knows that part of your heart. And he's inviting you even this morning to take a different step towards him, to trust him with that, and to let him do what only God can do. Listen, counseling is helpful. We love counseling. We love counselors, right? Medicine is helpful. We love doctors. But only God can heal. Only God can heal. And so when you're coming, you're saying, there's a part of me that I'm scared. It's, I'm overwhelmed by. It's too big for me. It hurts too much. Even if you can't fully understand what it is, I want you to know there's one who does know. And that's the same one who says, I'm your dad. And I'm coming after you because I love you. It's not because I want to shame you. It's not because I want to just expose you. I want to expose the lie so I can set you free from it. Where have we been, been, been believing the lie and keeping ourselves from him? Here's what it also means. That was the first part. The second part of what it means is this. You are not the sum total of your own actions or inactions. You're not the sum total of anyone else's actions. And so if you have this big shame event in your life that you did or someone else did to you, God wants you to know he does not look at you from the outside in. He knows you from the inside out. And he's the one, when we walk with him, who says, I promise to do heart transplant surgery. I promise to make this new so that you will never simply be the sum total of your best achievements, which we all know means you're also the sum total of your worst failures. You're also the sum total of the abuse you incurred in your life. You're also the sum total of all the failed prayers that you thought were going to work a certain way and didn't. That's who you are or you're who he's making you to be from the inside out. We persuade people because the motivator of our God has always been love. It has always been love. What's John 3, 16 say? For God so loved the world, or to put it differently, this is how God loved the world. This is how God showed his love to the world, that he sent his only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but will have everlasting life, right? This is the heart of our God. It's the heart of Jesus at the Last Supper when he says to his disciples in prayer, when he's praying over them this high priestly prayer, and he says, Father, my desire for them is that they would be one with us as we are one, that they would share in the love that we have shared in for all eternity. Wrap your mind for a second around that. He wants us to share in the love that the eternal father has with the eternal son through the work of the eternal spirit in us. Yeah. And you know what we're going to do for all eternity? That. And for, so for those of you, sidebar, this, this part's free, by the way. Sidebar, if you've ever thought of heaven as a place where you just play harps and you're going to be on clouds, it's going to be super boring, you've completely misunderstood. 
you've completely missed the point. Heaven, consider this world with nothing broken in it. Where all we ever do is see the good fruit of how God has made us to be and one another to be. And we enjoy love that is completely, completely free. Friends, it's not going to get any better than that. But when we're there, it's only going to get better and better and better. If you think you'll be bored, you don't know what you're talking about. Now, what we do in this world, because we have received this by love, is we turn around and give it away in the same way. First John 3.16, notice what God has done here. John 3.16 and 1 John 3.16. He's pretty good at that stuff, right? It's just random. Don't worry about it. All this stuff is just random. There's, there's no providence of God at work here, right? John 3.16 says, God so loved the world. 1 John 3.16 says, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for one another. And then it goes on to say this, very practically. If you see a brother or sister in need, and you have material goods, and you turn your back on them, how is the love of Christ in you? It's a challenge. It's saying, we don't just speak truth. We don't just think truth. We only know truth when we live truth, when we walk it out. Insight is not change. Insight's required for change, but insight must then be coupled together with a walking out of the truth in your life if change is actually going to happen. This is how we know what love is. And then he goes on to give another example in 1 John 4.20 when he says this, some of you say, I love God, but you hate your brother or sister. And you know what that makes you? A liar. Not my word, John's. Because you cannot love the God you've not seen and hate the image bearers of God that you do see. You see the challenge to put feet on our faith, to no longer live for ourselves, but for him. Which, to be 100% be clear, was absolute nuttiness. In the ancient world, remember, he's writing to the church in Corinth. This church that literally, they worshipped lots of gods, but one in particular, Aphrodite, the goddess of love, where they had temple prostitutes galore. For generations, these women who would give themselves over because they had no other choice. To be a worship vehicle for Aphrodite as a way of empowering women. Does that sound familiar to you? How many times have you heard this? You know what? I'm really proud of her. Look at the way she's showing most of her naked body on social media. What a bold move for this strong woman. What? Wake up. That is not a bold move for a strong woman. It's a trap for every woman and every guy that says, I'm going to use my body to exert power over you, and at the same time, I'm going to be an object for your self-satisfaction. It's what pornography is all about. It's what the sex trafficking trade is all about. It's what greed is all about. It's what any form of self-centeredness is actually all about. It's me sacrificing you on the altar of my gratification, right? We see that same craziness in our culture. We talked about sex trafficking, prostitution. Anytime you go to a club, guys, 
Most of the time it isn't girls that are in clubs, although sometimes there are these days. But just a challenge. Realize anytime you go and participate in anything that's on this screen here, what you are doing is you are funding slavery. You've heard me say this before. You don't have to take my word for it. Go check International Justice Mission or or World Vision. Their stats are right on their website. There are more slaves today than there were in the entire transatlantic slave trade put together. More in this moment, right now, today. And so let me do the math for us. When we are outraged over a world that would allow slavery of people because of the color of their, sin, of their skin, and rightly so, outraged by that. And we point fingers back there and we say, that was terrible, that should never happen again. Well, that same outrage should now be present in our hearts 10, 100-fold because of what's happening in our world today. But you know why it's not? Because we're the ones allowing it. Because we are the ones allowing it. Now, friends, I, I, I see it on your faces. You're like, whoa, like, am I doing that? Can I ask you to ask a better question? Where am I doing that? How am I doing that? For most of us, it's going it's to be very passive, not active. Right? Some of you are like, I don't look at porn. I don't go to clubs. I don't go to prostitutes. That's not me. Okay, but what are you doing to participate in that? And if you're thinking, I'm not doing anything, you're wrong. That's going to be the little twist at the end. Wait for it. In Christ, everything we've just been talking about while insane to the world is completely sane. It's completely sane because it's saying this, that we have a world that is trapped and that those of us who are walking in its values are equally trapped. And what we need is for someone to come and rescue us. Now, how many of you have ever seen Band of Brothers? Band of Brothers, raise your hands nice and high. If you've not seen Band of Brothers, it's a little on the violent side because it's about World War II, so I don't recommend it for little ones. But that is, an, that is a classic that I think everyone should see. It is all about this uh, 101st Airborne Easy Company and about them becoming a band of brothers on the war field as they're watching their brothers get taken out left and right by the Germans. It is tough to watch. It is tragic, it is heart-wrenching, and it is glorious all at the same time. Because what you see over and over again is these guys who are willing to literally run into machine gun fire for each other. And I want you to know, friends, that is precisely the kind of heroism that God is calling us to live in for each other. Now listen, you're like, no one's shooting machine guns at me. No, but when someone is verbally attacking you, it sure feels like they are. What does it look like for us as a band of brothers and sisters, the family of God, to live sacrificially for one another? To say, I I know you're going to hurt me, and I know I'm going to get hurt entering into this mess, but I'm going to go in with my whole heart. I'm going to go in and let him do a work on me so that I can help in his plan to do a work on you and through you, even and especially where it hurts. Because you know why it matters? Because if for those of us who have been set free and are trying to walk in that freedom, please realize that God sent someone to help you get free. And so when we say that the great commission is rooted in the great commandment, 
What is the great commandment? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself, or to put it differently, love that guy no matter what he's done to you, like you would want him to love you if you were stuck in the same place. What if you were the jerk who is constantly giving your neighbor a headache about whatever your neighbor's giving you a headache about? And you didn't see what a jerk you were. What if you were the one who was all alone because you kept pushing people away with your anger and all you needed was someone to be brave enough to speak truth and love to you right there? Wouldn't you have wanted that? Wouldn't you have needed that? In order to do this, friends, we also need to be ready to receive this, which is partially why we don't do it, because we're like a dysfunctional married couple. We say, here's the things that I want you to talk to me about as my bride, and here are the things I don't want you to talk to me about as my bride. You don't talk to me about this stuff, and I promise I won't talk to you about your stuff. And you know what happens? Divorce. Sometimes physically, all the time emotionally. When we live that way, we simply divide. We stay together, but we're a divided house. We say there's certain rooms off limits to one another. When the truth is, friends, he already knows what's in every one of those closets. And he wants to set you free. He wants to clean your house. He's not going to force his way in the door. But you remember the picture in Revelation chapter 3? Behold, I stand at the door and knock. That's an ongoing action. I'm going to keep knocking until you open up because I love you that much. What if God was calling you and I to be his hands and feet knocking on those doors? Friends, that's precisely who he's called us to be. And because of that, from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh. No one. What does that mean? It means all the things the world says are valuable. All the things the world says we need to put first. Oh, that guy's rich. Oh, that girl's hot. Or that guy's popular. All that stuff doesn't matter. That is not the value system by which we live. What matters is the miracle that's happening on the inside. What matters is the mission that's bigger than what we can see. For he says, we regarded Christ the same way. We said, who is this Jesus? Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Wait, isn't he the one who was born out of wedlock? Isn't that Mary's son? Right? And even the disciples who followed him said, of course, this guy's in the bloodline of King David, so he's going to come and be a political leader. Every one of them got it wrong. Every one of them, because they regarded Jesus according to what they could see and not according to what Jesus was doing behind the scenes, inside of them, and through them. And even telling them about, but they weren't hearing it, because they were regarding him according to the flesh. From now on, we're, we're to regard no one according to the flesh. Because if anyone is in Christ, you are a new creation. Do me a favor. Close your eyes for one second. And just listen to this over you freshly. For those of you who are in Christ Jesus, you are a new creation. The old is gone. 
the new has come. Okay, open your eyes. What does this mean? It means that we have been crucified with Christ. That's what he's trying to say. Like there's a reality to which this plays out. We're like, wait a second, I don't feel like the old is gone. In fact, this whole sermon's been about how the old isn't gone. So what are you saying, Pastor Will? Well, what I'm saying is what he's saying, which is this reality. There is a justification that happens and a sanctification that continues to happen. Justification is God saying he has delivered us from the dominion of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of the son that he loves. That when we put our faith in Jesus, we are in that very moment counted just as if we were Christ. That's justification. Just as if we lived Christ's perfect life. That's what's counted in our bank account. And you know what Jesus got in his bank account? All the ways we didn't. Surely he carried our sorrows and our iniquities were laid upon him but what that means is they're no longer laid upon you so the things that were done to you the things that you've done are no longer true of you and those of you who've been around for a while you're like okay will we get this i got it i'm good are you are you do you really live as if this is true do you truly live into how this is playing out in your life? Or are you, like we talked about, there are places where you're trying really hard to do that, and there are other places where you have resisted and said no. I have yet to meet a person who willingly or unwillingly has been saying no in different areas. Me included, friends. All it means is we're not done yet. God's the one who says that. And that's not a shame thing. There's a freedom in that. When you have to pretend like you're a finished product, like you're, you're completely whole, I'm good, I'm good, I'm good. When you're not good and you know it, you're living a lie, which is why the, God, the Apostle John says, you're lying. God knows it, you know it. Stop lying. Be true, be honest, be free, because there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You're completely set free to be completely open about what's broken inside of you. And it's not a competition. It's not like, hey, you be open so that the person next to you can feel better about themselves, right? That's how we oftentimes approach that sort of stuff. Wrong. He says, I want you to remember what he's done for you first, how he's loved you. And then I want you to go and love one another. I love the fact that God gets us like this. Because he knows that there's a difference between our guilt and our shame. Oftentimes we have an easier time getting over something that produces guilt in us. Guilt is saying, I did something wrong, I need to be forgiven. Shame says, I did something wrong because I am wrong. It's identity language. And I want you to hear the words of 1 John 1.9 freshly this morning. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. That's dealing with the guilt. And to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's dealing with the shame. I wear shame. It's on me. It's heavy. And he says, I can wash it away. All you need to do is turn back. 
and ask for that forgiveness where guilt and shame are undone. And so consider your own life, friends. Consider your own life. Every one of us is on this journey in a broken world, as we've talked about all morning. But in that broken world, we have moments of trauma where we have been abused, where we have experienced failure, where we have experienced loss, huge loss. And those moments of trauma, if we don't deal with them, all they become is the place where we are emotionally stuck. It's called your emotional quotient. Everyone has an intellectual quotient, an IQ. Everyone also has an EQ. And so in counseling, what we talk about with regard to that is the idea of a, a wounded inner child. For most of us, there is trauma in our childhood that until and unless we deal with, we always act out of. So without pointing at anyone in the room, I want you to think about the one person in your life who you know when they get triggered, they act like a little kid. And if you're not thinking of yourself, I'm, I don't think you're being honest right now. When you're truly triggered and all of a sudden you blow up and you act like a 12-year-old. You know why? Because you were probably dealing with some trauma that happened when you were 12 and you never grew past it. Or when you're truly triggered and you start to melt down like a toddler and you're inconsolable, it is probably because you experienced trauma as a toddler and you never dealt with it. Hear me say this. Most of the time when we are injured, as little children, we had nothing to do with it. Nothing. But as adults, the only person who can and who is responsible for actually processing that pain, forgiving forgiveness where it's necessary, for letting go of bitterness, and for welcoming the only person who's actually our healer to come in and heal, the only person who can do that is you. So where you already know you're stuck, and some of you, God, has already brought that image to your mind, please know this. It's precisely there that Jesus wants to heal you. It's precisely there. And for most of us, I would dare say all of us, it's not just one place, it's many. But what did we say? Jesus is the one who heals. Jesus is our healer. He loves to do this work. It's why he's come. He wants us to know the love and wholeness and fullness of what it means to belong to him. He doesn't come to show us these things to shame us, but to wash us free from shame. He doesn't show us these things to guilt us, but to get rid of guilt from our lives. So we are justified. We are sanctified. And what God says is it is actually a guaranteed work when we put our faith in him because Jesus has already done it. He's already done it. So the question to wrestle with this morning, friends, as you consider this promise that when we put our faith in Jesus, we are a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come, and now we get to live into that is, how long do you want to live as the old? Because we can hold on to that. And we can live into that our whole lives. But we were saved for more than that, friends. It is for freedom. 
that we have been set free. Therefore, do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Galatians 5, chapter 5, verse 1. Jesus died to set us free, friends. And he wants us to live into that and to know the fullness of that in our lives. But as we've said again and again, he's not going to force us. He's simply going to invite us. He's going to invite us, just like he's doing in your life right now. As we taste that freedom, here's what he says. Because he has set us free, it's not just for us. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, God making his appeal to the world through us. We are walking billboards of the grace of God, of the healing power of God, of the loving pursuit of God, and the world needs to see it in and through us. And where else are they going to see it but through our cracked clay jars? In the places where we feel weakest, most insecure, most overwhelmed. And we say, come in, family of God, come in, come closer because I need you. I need your help. Would you come in and, and be a part of this with me? And we take the risk. And even when we step on each other's toes and hurt each other, but we continue to lean in, isn't it a beautiful thing when we see God work miracles even there, healing and wholeness? And just in case we were wondering, can God really do this? Seriously, does he mean this? Is it even possible is Pastor Will smoking some wacky tobacco, right? Like, is he out of his mind? He says in verse 21 in our passage, God made him, Jesus, who knew no sin, to be our sin, that we might become the righteousness of God. The Holy One of Israel, God Almighty, became our sin for us suffered on that cross for us, had all hell poured out on him for us so that he could set us free, but so that he could also show us, friends, that even when you are the lowest point that you think you could possibly get, and you think, if I admit this, I'm going to go even lower, and somehow his grace isn't going to find me there, his grace goes deeper still. All the way down to the bottom, all the way down to the bottom, he's not surprised by or afraid of what's inside of you because he's already felt it inside of him. He made him who knew no sin to be sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. And what does he do to us now? Now that we get this, he sends us. He sends us to the ends of the earth, and he sends us to the least of these, to all the tax collectors like Matthew and Zacchaeus, to the prostitutes like Mary Magdalene, to the murderers like Saul of Tarsus, to the, to the blind, to the diseased, to the crippled, to those who need to hear the good news on the outside and on the inside. He sends us to every sex trafficker, every porn star, Every greedy billionaire, he sends us, the church of Jesus Christ, to pray and speak and live glory. A message that God Almighty wants to be reconciled with all of us. If you were the greedy billionaire who owns Amazon and all of a sudden 
I don't want to say that for the recording, right? So Smamazon, just kidding, right? If you owned Amazon and you had all the money in the world and someone came to you and shared the good news of Jesus Christ and you became a believer, could you imagine what you could do with all those resources for the king? Could you imagine the hell you were just saved from because of the king? Beloved, where is God calling you to love your neighbor as you yourself need to be and would want to be loved? He's sending us precisely there. And in case you missed it, he's also sending us to the body people. All Souls Community Church, you may not know this. We already support a ministry called Commit Nepal. Commit Nepal is all about helping the body people, helping those who've been sex trafficked, labor trafficked, helping to prevent it, helping to intervene when it's happening through education, mentoring, job placement, counseling, safe houses, health services, and advocacy. Kashav is online with us every Sunday. Kashav, God bless you, brother. We love you, and we love the work you're doing. We're praying for you, brother. Amen. But you remember before when you started to feel like, oh my gosh, I'm not doing anything? You have been doing. Every time you give to All Souls, this is part of where your giving goes. So we can support this ministry together. So that we can continue to grow and meet the needs of this ministry. But if God's putting on your heart to lean in more and do more, there's lots of ways to do that. There's lots of ways to get to, to see what's going on and how can I get more involved and how do I play a part. But it's not just in Nepal. It's all over the world, friends. It's all over the world, and it's, all, it's right here as well. But I want you to know that the message that's being spoken to these freed slaves is identity language. You are no longer untouchable. You are not unworthy. And beloved, some of us need to hear that this morning. For in our heart of hearts, we know and believe that the rawest part of me is the untouchable, is the unworthy. But it's precisely there that Jesus says, I love you and I did everything necessary to clean you and set you free and make you whole. The good news that you are seen and worthy and loved. Hear this quote from an anonymous woman who was saved through ministries like this. For many years, I thought it was my fate to be a prostitute. Do you hear it? But now I realize this system wasn't made by God. It was made by man. This is the declaration of a freed daughter of the king. Because we started off our sermon asking this, what if it was one of yours? And every time someone is sold into slavery, God says, that is one of mine. That is one of mine. And I'm not going to stop until this entire system is thrown into hell from which it came. I'm not going to stop until every form of sin, every form of slavery is thrown into hell from which it came. That is the promise of our God. 
So friends, the question that we want to ask this morning, as God has called us his ambassadors, those who are sent with legal authority to speak for the king, where is he sending you? Some of you have a fire in your belly right now to get involved and to help prevent sex trafficking. Hallelujah. Others of you are like, that's not my call. I don't know what it is, but let me guarantee you this. We are all called to be ambassadors for our Lord Jesus Christ. Every one of us is called. And so the, the challenge for us this morning is, will you ask God where he's calling you? Will you pray about it? Will you give as he shows you where to give? Will you go even if he says go? And will you share the good news of a God who gave up everything to reconcile, listen, enemies? Unworthy enemies. Like us. Like me. To himself. Grace. Grace is the good news of the kingdom. Will you ask? Will you go? Will you give? Will you share? For some, it might mean going to Nepal. But for every one of us, it absolutely means going home, going to work, going to school, going to every place God has called you to be with an entirely new mindset. For we no longer consider one another according to the flesh. We don't judge anyone based off of what we see. We make a decision to love them as we would want to be loved if we were exactly in their shoes. And we begin to pray for them and lean into that relationship and take the risk even when it costs us. Because we know there's a God who gave up everything to set us free. And if he can save this sinner, he can save any sinner. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Jesus, it is a hard thing when we fix our eyes on one particular kind of brokenness in our world and we see the depth of depravity, the cost the gore, we consider the horror. And I thank you, Lord Jesus, that your promise is true, that you will be with us always, no matter where we are, even to the ends of the age, the ends of the earth, even if we make our bed and shield, you're there, which means even for those little ones who are stuck in brothels, you are there. Would you speak to them even now, Lord Jesus? Would you set their hearts free from the lie that says, I am the shame that I am wearing. I am worthless. I am unseen. Would you speak a better word over them? Holy Spirit, would you open their eyes and ears to hear and their hearts to receive your love that says, they've always been seen. You've been pursuing them. They're not alone. They are worth loving. And I pray, Lord, for everyone in this room and for everyone watching online, for all of us, Lord, that every part of our spiritual homes, our hearts, Lord, every room that feels like that brothel, 
every room that feels unclean and unworthy and unlovable, that we would begin to hear you knocking. It's me. I'm here to help. Jesus, would you make your presence known? And would you do what only you can do? Would you bring healing, Lord, and hope, even in the places of greatest hopelessness? That is who you are. It's what you've done, and it's what you do. Please keep going. Show us the places, Lord, where our foot is on the door where we're keeping you out because we're afraid or angry or we've buried it so far down we don't even realize. And I ask in the powerful name of Jesus Christ that this would be the season, Lord, where every chain is broken, where every locked door is opened, where life and life abundant is experienced. So come, Lord. Here we are. You're the potter. We're the clay. We trust you to get the imperfect parts out, the impurities that would make the clay jar just shatter and fall to the ground. And we trust that where the cracks are, there your glory is as well. So let your light shine. Come, Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray.